Good morning. The title of today's message is Stay Focused, and of course our text is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The 13th Olympic Winter Games was played in Lake Placid, New York. On February the 22nd, 1980, the U.S. hockey team beat the Soviet Union. Now the Soviets were a four-time gold-winning Olympic team, and the game became referred to as the miracle on ice. The Soviets had won all 12 matchups with the U.S. between 1960 and the 1980 Olympics. They outscored the Americans 117 to 26. In fact, the U.S. had NHL, NHL players on their team in 1976 at the Canadian Cup, and they lost twice. Not to mention the infamous 10-3 blowout exposition won to close out the 1980s team's pre-Olympic tour at Medicine Square Garden, and they lost that just one week before the Olympic Games. The goalie of the, the game was Jim, Jim Craig, and he helped the, the lead stick because he blocked a lot of shots. The Soviets outshot the Americans 39-16. to 16. And of course, in the closing seconds, Al Michaels, the sports announcer, said, quote, do you believe in miracles, unquote. I came across this article on the ESPN website about this game, and just let's listen to this little paragraph outside the article. It said, quote, the admittedly ironic thing about statistically breaking down this game is that one of the better examples of why sometimes the numbers just don't matter. The metrics do help us better understand what those American 20-somethings were up against and how they overcame it. But in the end, the scoreboard will ever read USA 5, USSR 3. Now, Michael Kruger, in his commentary, Hebrews for You, says, quote, The reason for the victory is that the coach got the U.S. team into very good shape. They never stopped skating, and they wore the Soviets out. It takes training and spiritual discipline to continually focus on Jesus. Just as they continually focus on that game after defeat, after defeat, after defeat. No matter how great the odds were, those boys, excuse me, those men on that team kept pressing on towards the goal and they pulled off what seemed to be impossible. Now if you look back in Hebrews chapter 11, it lists some notable and minor characters from the Old Testament and we refer to this chapter as the heroes of the faith. They kept their eyes fixed on the distance. And this motivated their faith in the present moment. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. And having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. The author of Hebrews tells us these people in the Old Testament were faithful because they kept their eyes looking forward towards the promise. They know a Messiah was going to come, but they didn't know the Messiah. Hadn't seen it happen yet, and we live on the other side of it. And they're told they would live faithfully because they kept their eyes pressing onward. Look in verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we have a so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that word cloud is used metaphorically to indicate a great host of people. Some translations will render that huge crowd. 
Now, some people seem to think these are people who've lived faithful lives, they've gone on to be with the Lord, and now they're watching us on some type of uh, athletic event cheering us on. But I think in context, that, not, that may not be what's going on here. What the author wants us to look at is look at them and learn from their examples which they have left behind. Their lives have borne witnesses of their faith. We are to look at them as examples. We are to learn from them, not them looking down on us, but us looking at their lives as examples to follow. James Moffat, who was a Scottish biblical scholar, said this, it is what we see in them, not what they see in us. That is the writer's main point. Look at the book of Hebrews chapter. Look at some of the names. Rahab the harlot is listed in there, I believe. And some other names that might strike you as somewhat surprising. People of faith. Goes on in verse 1 to say, Let us also lay aside or throw off every encumbrance or weight. And that word translated encumbrance refers to anything that impedes or hinders the runner's progress. In the first century, the athletes would come out in these long flowing robes and of course they would take that off before they run because they can't run that robe on. They get all twisted up and they couldn't perform very well. Likewise, as believers, we are to discard anything that encumbers us or hinders us from running the race. Now, you may know this, but some runners and cyclists even shave their legs and shave their head, trying to shave off friction so they get better time. And believe it or not, they've actually proven that, yes, it does shave off a second or so off your time. However, if you want to improve your running, consistent training is what it takes by logging the miles and putting the work in, you will get better. But most people don't do that because they're too impatient. They want it now. I don't want to put in the work. I want to be able to run fast and run it now. In other words, if you're in a big race of your life or some type of contest, are you going to wait the day before to get in shape and go? If you really want to win, what's going to take? It's going to take months and months of preparation to do your very, very best. Reminds me of Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If we're going to run this race that God has set before us, look what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things that are on earth. In other words, how do we prep every day by thinking and meditating on God's word. Think of things above. Thinking of Christ. That takes every day, not just once a week. If you're living your Christian life just by showing up on church one hour a week and you're not looking at the Bible, you're not praying, not doing any type of spiritual discipline outside this hour, you will fail. It takes time. It takes discipline. Now, discipline has gotten a negative type of connotation in our society. Discipline can be good. You discipline yourselves to do what is right. Not only are we to lay off every encumbrance, but look at the rest of verse 1. Lay aside the sin which so easily, easily entangles us or ensnares us, obstructing us or constricting us. There's a sense of that word of something 
wrapping around you, and so you can't even move. It reminds me, my parents were from Mississippi, and in Mississippi, you ever been to the state of Mississippi? They have this vine or a plant called kutzu. They brought over to help soil conversation. Now that thing takes over everything. It goes up, you have to burn it for the, the lines to go through. It's crazy. This has that vine wraps around that telephone pole or that house or a structure. Sin, if you do not hold it in check, will slowly start to grow around your foot. Dip around your ankle. Around your leg. And before you know it, it will pull you down. I've said this before. It's not my original saying. I, I can't remember who first said it. But sin will take you places that you never intended to go and to keep you a lot longer than you're planning on staying. That's how it works. It's not a whole big yank at first. It's a slowly, slow fade. Now, the sin in this text is not actually defined. What sin is he talking about? But perhaps it's the sin of faithlessness. See, passivity weighs an athlete down. If an athlete gets very passive about what he or she is doing, that's going to cause them not to do very well. It's going to weigh on them. And same thing with us. We can't sit around being passive. We have to be active and working. We have to get that passive mind and lay it aside and be actively thinking about the things on Christ. Because if we don't, we become passive, and passivity will lead to faithlessness if not checked. You have to be active in doing this. So after he says all that, he ends up with that great phrase, let us run with endurance or perseverance the race that is set before us. Now this involves effort and struggle, not passive patience. Now this race could refer to any kind of race or any type of athletic event. But you have to remember this race he's talking about is not a sprint where speed is all that counts. What counts in this race that we are running together is endurance. To finish strong and to finish well. And this race that sets before us, that's referring God has put you in place. He has set that before you. He wants you to run it and run it well. And that's our job as believers, to do what God wants us to do. Or put it a better way, do the will of God what the will of God is for our lives. I think this reason why a lot of people, they may start out strong in their Christian faith, but they get burned out. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes discipline. It takes prayer. It takes studying. All those things above. Look at verse 2. How do we do this? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. That fixing, I would say that's proof that I was a Texan that wrote that fixing, but I can't really make that hurt. Okay, you guys aren't laughing. So. Fixing means to look at something, ignore everything else, and say focus on one object or one person alone. In this case, we're talking about Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Don't look to the right, don't look to the left, but keep your eyes and keep your focus, keep your attention on him. We are not to model our lives after the heroes of the faith. We can learn from their examples, but we are to author or model our lives after Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the source of faith. He is the author of faith. By his death and resurrection, 
He has become the source of eternal salvation. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, has become to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. He's also the model of faith. Because he trusted God the Father. And that's evidenced by his total obedience to the Father's will. What did he pray in the Garden of the Gethsemane? Father, please let this cup pass. If there's any other way, let's do it another way. But nonetheless, your will be done. So he's the model or perfecter of faith. He is the forerunner, blazing the trail for the other people that will follow him. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That's a whole other term right there about Melchizedek, but he is the forerunner. Jesus has sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat of the Holy of Holies, therefore ripping the veil into, and now we have direct access to God the Father through his blood. That's why he's the author of faith and the model of faith. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. What joy? The joy of what his death would accomplish, inclusive of both present and future blessings. Endure the cross, the gruesome, painful suffering which the cross produced or caused illustrates why Jesus is both the source and model of faith that endures to the end. Despising or disdained the shame of the cross in the sense that he willingly accepted humiliation, the shame of this, or disgrace of his public execution, and did not let it deter him from the goal. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 and 13. Therefore Jesus also, that he may sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate, so let us go out, out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach or his disgrace. Jesus took that all on for you. All the pain and the suffering of the cross. Everything that happened for one moment did not deter him. There was a time when he's standing with Pontius Pilate. This is after they took him back and Pilate said, I want you to beat him, but don't kill him. Of course, the guards were a little far with it and kind of made Pilate a little upset because Pilate said, I'm about to have a riot on my hands. And Caesar told me if there's going to be a riot, he's going to come from my blood. But Jesus didn't say a word. And Pilate looks at him and says, don't you have, a, don't you have anything to say? Because I have the authority to either take your life, crucify you, or let you go. And Jesus' response says, the only authority you've been given is from above. In other words, I'm trusting the Father. I'm going to trust the Father. Because Jesus knew if he was to keep his Father's will, what was going to happen. And then verse 2. He has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. 
Unlike those heroes of the faith mentioned in Hebrews 11, Jesus is able to strengthen his followers because he is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Right hand was always a place of honor and distinction. And he is right now sitting beside the Father on his right hand. And what is he doing there? He's interceding for you and for me. He's here through his Holy Spirit, but he's interceding. And he sits at the right hand of God. And the score is the key theme in Hebrews, pressing on to maturity rather than falling back through disobedience and lack of faith. In other words, the whole thing in Hebrews is why go back to Judaism when we have a much better covenant through Christ. And as we press on this new year, we're in the second month already, keep looking to Jesus. Do not take your eyes off of him. Look to him. He has blazed the trail. He is not asking you to do anything he has not done himself already. Can you see him at the right hand of God saying, take one more step towards me? It's always baby steps. And you keep going and you keep looking more and more like Jesus. And as you look back over the years, you look back and say, wow, look how far you have brought me. And in verse 3, consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. That word consider connotes a process of seriously thinking. When you're going to weigh a matter with utmost care through comparison, reflection, and conclusion. And what's the object of the consideration? Him who has endured. Think of Jesus for a moment. I want you to really contemplate on who Jesus is. Weigh it in your mind. Is he exactly what he claims to be? Or is he not? And when you answer that question, is your life bearing fruit to that answer that you just gave? He put up with such hostility. That's stressing the emphasis of the entire crucifixion event. The people who nailed him to the cross, the crowd that day, and not to mention the spiritual realm that was going on during that time. He endured it all. You know who deserves to be on that cross? Me. But he took my place. Why should we look at him? Why should we keep our eyes on him? Why should we consider him? Look at the last, look at the last part of verse 3. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart or be discouraged in your souls. This very clarifies that fatigue was not merely physical. See, the stress of persecution was building up in the Christians during this time when this book was written. Sorry, that was my watch. And he's telling them, don't get spiritually fatigued and discouraged. Consider the one whom you follow, what he did, and how he did it. Now, as we come back and we look at all this together, we look at the race that is set before us. What are some things that are on your heart for this church, for this body of believers? What would you like to see happen? The sky's the limit. What is in your heart of hearts? Do you recall that ESPN 
article about that game? That he said, admittedly, the ironic thing about statistically breaking down this game is that the numbers just don't matter. Listen to me, church. What the enemy says and what the rule out there says does not matter. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. I mean, is anything difficult for the Lord? Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you at this time next year. And Sarah will have a son. Sarah was advanced in years. And she even laughed when she heard the promise. How about Jeremiah 32, 17? Oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. And then Luke 1, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. See, faith is like a race that requires endurance to cross the finish line. You need to stay focused. And the finish line, the goal is Jesus. We are to look to him. As we run this race with endurance, it's hard to arrive at a destination. We're not paying attention to where we're going. How would you like to get in the car with Larry back here? And he, we're driving to, to uh, Denton. But he's constantly looking back at me, not watching the road. He's not paying attention to where we're going. Would you want to ride in the car with him? I wouldn't either. Keep your eyes focused. There are some things that will be plain, black and white, what we should do. There's going to be times when God's wanting you to take a step of faith and trust him. God's not going to call you to do anything that he won't prepare you for and equip you for. Did you hear what I just said? He will not call you to anything that he hasn't going to prepare you for or equip you for. Why do we have problems with endurance and staying focused? Why is that? One reason, because of the culture that we live in. That has utopian expectations. Everybody has a right to live a long life that is free of poverty and suffering. Expects instant results and views dramatic performances as more important than behind the scenes consistency. Everybody wants all the goals and privileges, but no one's willing to do the work to get there. And Christianity here in the United States has conformed to these values rather than exposing them. Therefore, most Christians do not value endurance because it should not be necessary in the first place and because it's not flashly or easily gained. We all want it tomorrow. I mean, we all want it today. That's the culture we live in. But to be a, a follower of Christ, to be a solid follower, it requires time, requires patience. See, the length of the race that we've been called to run and the presence of many obstacles that will be in our path makes endurance a non-optional requirement. We must stay focused, endure, and persevere. And how do we do that? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter the author and perfecter of faith. So what do you have your eyes on this morning? You looking to next Sunday for the Super Bowl? Who won is going to win? Oh, now I just messed up, didn't I? Okay. What are you looking at to measure yourself? Girls, you're looking at all those models you see on social media, TikTok and everything else, these, this, this image that you can never live up to. Because it's all Adobe 
mixed with. They all brush it up. And, of course, we all look better if we had someone doing our hair 24-7. I mean, come on, they're putting an image up there you can't live up to. Guys, what you measure yourself against? How much money you make? What kind of house you have? We need to look at Jesus and measure ourselves accordingly. If we're going to make it through this year, let me back up. If we're going to run this race, making disciples, being a light in this community, we have to run with endurance. There'll be times that we want to clap and cheer. There'll be times we want to sit back and cry. But through it all, when we fall down, we can't move on. Just like that father did. Jesus will come by and pick us up. Not only that, look around you. It's your family. That's what we're called to do, isn't it? See a brother or sister down, what are we supposed to do? Go over to them. Minister to them. Pick them back up. We need each other. And sometimes we don't realize how bad we need each other. You think COVID would have made that stick, but we, 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 we forget a lot, don't we? Do you know Jesus? I invite you to come. Have you given your life to him as Lord and Savior? What's keeping you from following him? Are you running the race? Are you sitting on the sidelines? It's easy to sit on the sidelines in the cheap seats telling people what they should or should not do. Get in the game. Get out there. Live out your calling. Be bold. Be courageous. Tell people who Jesus is. Not only by your words, but by your deeds. That's what we need. You know why the enemy's getting all the, all the airtime? Because they're yelling aloud. So where is God's people? We need to stand up and stand up for the truth. And do it in love and grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And as we look out, this race, this life that you've called us to, as individuals, as a church, that seems so overwhelming at times. So many things pulling, pulling for our attention. Father, help us as individuals stay focused on you and help us as a church to do the same. Father, I know in a crowd as such, there's people here that are hurting. Father, I, I pray that right now they will feel your arms of love and peace wrap around them as you pull them close to your side. I pray that your will is done here in this moment. You said in your word that your word not return to you void without accomplishing what you wanted to accomplish. So, Father, I, I claim that promise now.
Continue to speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray.